This is Good Omens, episode four, Saturday morning fun time on TV Podcast Industries in association with... Hmm? Ah! Welcome back to TV Podcast Industries. We're talking about Good Omens Episode 4, Saturday Morning Fun Time on TV Podcast Industries. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow acolytes. I am one of your other hosts, John. And rounding out the Holy Trinity, I am Chris. Nice. Well done, Chris. Good, yeah. We hadn't done the Holy Trinity before. This is why we always need this as a threesome. Yes, I'm very impressed. So I'll be the Holy Ghost. I'm obviously God. And I, I guess what's the Holy Ghost and Spirit? You're Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Christ. cool. Jesus Chris, Christopher Christ. There you go. <laughs> Christopher Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I think we could do- go for Jesus Chris, can't we? Yeah, yeah. It's missing the T. Like any good British person, you always need the T. <laughs> nice. Welcome back, acolytes, to our our fourth episode of Good Omens on TV Podcast Industries. Our chat about the Good Omens TV show, which probably is highly blasphemous to some people, uh, just like the intro to this podcast was. <laughs> well, it is interesting that our Marvel Netflix uh, podcast, Defenders TV podcast, um, is very closely related um, to a Defenders podcast that is kind of an evangelical house of God uh, that was in the US, I think. I have never said this to you, Chris. It's absolutely hilarious. Every week I get a (laughs) notification from Defenders TV podcast. Three days after we publish an episode, a new episode comes up from them talking about their doctrine of Christ. (laughs) It's hilarious because it's so different from our Defenders TV podcast. (laughs) So, yes, the the Lord moves in mysterious ways. I don't know whether, whether they're spurred on by us doing a podcast or whether they just have a regular schedule that aligns with our schedule i'm not sure but it, uh, they seem to be off air when we're not producing podcasts well I, I think it was probably the yin and yang given that we were doing daredevil at the time Maybe. and then the punisher with a massive skull on his chest um <laughs> you know the harlot jessica jones the um the the non-believer in iron fist so maybe yeah I think they were kind of trying to cancel us out a bit like Aziraphale to our Crowley. Nice. <laughs> well, guys, I've been keeping the secret for nearly three years. Secretly, not 3,000 years. No, not 3,000. Secretly, I am the host of Defenders podcast, and that's why it's <laughs> happening. I'm glad we've been spurring you on, Chris, to do the podcast. That's, exactly. that's really good. Exactly. <laughs> but let's get into our details for this episode. We are here to talk about Good Omens, uh, the TV show, which uh, is really wrapping up. We've only got two more episodes left, and it just feels so intense. We don't do TV shows this short on our podcast. Normally, we have either 13 episodes or 10 episodes with our Marvel podcasts, or we have 22 episodes with our Gotham TV podcast, where we used to cover... A 22-episode show every year. Now, it just feels like, oh my god, we're getting to the end of this. We're getting to the end of this. <laughs> I love British TV shows. Six <laughs> episodes. Absolutely awesome. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. I hear six is the magic number. <laughs> yeah, six or eight, I think. Great. And then you can... You've got, what, another four or five weeks to put your feet up and wait for the next one <laughs> i'm really not sure about it i'm i'm, I'm feeling <laughs> like we're underserving this podcast i had to limit my notes on this episode because i felt like i was writing down way too much because they're cramming so much into each one of these episodes but our acolytes just to let you know if you're only listening to us for the good omens podcast and you're only subscribed to the good omens podcast over on itunes or on spotify make sure you subscribe to us over at tv podcast industries because we've got loads of content coming up on our podcast over there jessica jones returns next week with her season three the final defenders on netflix tv show for marvel check us out over there on tvpodcastindustry.com and you'll get those podcasts you can email us with your thoughts on anything to do with good omens at good omens podcast at gmail.com and you can also follow us on facebook at facebook.com slash tv podcast industries but i think it's time to get into our discussion about this episode of the show john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode sure 
The world is getting weirder. Atlantis has risen from the deep. A kraken has arrived to destroy all Japanese scientific vessels that definitely aren't whaling ships. <laughs> and aliens have landed to give a message of cosmic harmony and such like for everyone in the whole wide world. In Soho, Aziraphale is not being listened to, even though he knows how to find the Antichrist, stop the apocalypse, and prevent the war between heaven and hell. Crowley isn't faring any better, as Hasta and Ligger find out that he lost the real Antichrist, and come to take him back to hell. As forces begin to forge around Adam Young, Newton Pulsifer travels to Tadfield, and meets Anathema Device, fulfilling yet another of Agnes Nutter's prophecies, under the bed. <laughs> As Shadwell gets a premonition that Newton is in trouble, he tries to get some money from Aziraphale and mistakenly sends the angel back to heaven. Oh, f- For those of you that haven't listened to our Luke Cage podcast, that's the swear jar from the Luke Cage barbershop that covers up any time someone changes this from a family-friendly podcast into a an adults-only podcast, right? That is true, although I do hasten to add that that curse is in uh, speech quotations because it is taken directly from the TV show. Uh, In no way does this podcast endorse swearing of any kind whatsoever, dare I say it. And of course, like Japanese scientific vessels, we're not lying. (laughs) We endorse swearing of every kind. We just can't get our podcast out there, unfortunately. If we do have swearing in the podcast, as you know, John. (laughs) But I think we should get into our five points for this episode. As you should know by now, our five points for the episodes are called our signs of the apocalypse. Our first sign of the apocalypse really is the strange times indeed. In this episode, we have so many things that are going on. After the end of last time's episode, where Adam creates a the disappearance of a nuclear reactor. This time, everything's happening. He's reading a lot. His mind is getting filled up with all the things he should do. His friends are telling him what he should do, and he is jumping on board and changing the world just to his plan and his ideas. What did you think of all the stuff that's going on, Chris? I love this. This was what I talked about in the last episode. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh my God, it'd be really fun to see if they went all this wacky down the what-if route. And within seconds, obviously, we see the nuclear reactor. Just even the BBC radio commentary going, Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure how they got it out of there. Like, they took the whole (laughs) reactor and there's nothing, but it's still creating power. Are you sure it's not a terrorist? (laughs) Yeah. And then literally you get the beautiful intro with the cruise ship captain going, well, we stumbled upon this. And then you just see this Mm -hmm. crack. I was like, brilliant. They're doing Atlantis. Um Especially getting to see David Morrissey uh, from uh, Walking Dead and Doctor Who fame mm-hmm. being the cruiser captain talking about how they've already won some of the tournaments and meeting the shaman. Uh, it was just <laughs> brilliant. And then the, the part I loved the best was duck-lipped aliens. So we see the really shoddy attempt. <laughs> yeah. Not saying he's a kid, so obviously his arts and crafts aren't the best. We now know that the son of Satan isn't good at arts and crafts. <laughs> but his attempt at an, uh, a UFO, mm-hmm. we see it land, and we get this fantastic, very Monty Python-esque scene where you get the, the, the aliens have arrived to spread their message of peace. I'm not quite sure why. And they look ridiculous. The The best was <laughs> yeah, the yeah. two Tibetan people. Yesterday, I was at a railway station selling tickets. And the other one was working on a radio repair, repair shop. And then all <laughs> of a sudden, it's like, now we're here. Oh, well, look, our tea break's over. Yeah. Back to it. Picking up the shovel. Uh, just, like, it's just hilarious. And all topped off with the Kraken. It's really good. I mean, it it's kind of... um it is important what you read, kids, um, because I do <laughs> like the fact that they're all coming from the new Aquarian. Um, yeah. I loved the Tibetans. I just love the fact that they pop up in the middle of the road yeah. and they're like, where are we kind of <laughs> thing? It's really weird. Um, I was like kind of going, is there some kind of ancient myth that I just don't know about? I was literally thinking, you know, because you've got the Kraken in there, you've got sort of space aliens, you know, and so much of this is imbued with kind of myths, legends, and and, and all this kind of thing. I was mm-hmm. thinking, is there an ancient legend of Tibetans digging under, like, the, the, the earth and something like this? And I was like, 
No, it is literally just craziness happening on the screen. And I thought it was really, really good. I, I really like this kind of idea of a vast network of tunnels um, sort of being dug out by yeah. uh, sort of Tibetans wearing their their robes and so on. It was really, really good. Yeah, like the concept obviously comes from uh, the Vietnamese during the war, during the Vietnamese war. That's the whole okay. idea is, is from that. And that's why this little twist on it is really funny that these two Tibetans who are in the modern day, you know, one's working in a radio shop, one's working in, in a railway station, but they apparently are wearing their ancient outfits and tunneling through the streets because, well, that's what New Aquarian has told Adam and everything that Adam has told he believes. Like, I love the whole idea of this, this has all come about because Adam is reading magazines for the first time. Yeah. He knows what the internet is and he knows the internet lies to him because that's what everybody has told him. Don't believe what you <laughs> yeah. read on the internet. But when you read magazines, well, nobody would lie in magazines because once it's in print, it's real, right? Yeah, it's a nice little <laughs> moment for sure. I, I like that, yes, there are quite a lot of duck references uh, in this show to date. We have, as you say, the duck-lipped sort of aliens we had the ducks have ears uh by the pond in st james's park and then there was a moment of something off a duck's back what is it, what, and is then, it water isn't it yeah. yes <laughs> which i really really liked and, and of course i think um i think for me as well with the kraken uh sort of helping with the vengeance uh from a thousand or a million sushi dinners uh, and targeting the whale ships <laughs> i thought it was just excellent i love um the voiceover from god here where she goes this is not a whaling ship this is a research ship this week they seem to be researching how many whales they can catch in a week um, and it is kind of the stupidity of um i suppose this this whaling slash not whaling slash research shit uh -huh. um and you're just like hey just tell us you like whale meat and just get on with it well they something. do that's what's interesting i love that the bbc news coverage later on says that this kraken is now targeting whaling ships because five of them have disappeared the ones that are scientific vessels <laughs> yeah. to everybody else in the world the japanese government have confirmed that they are whaling ships <laughs> i hasten to add don't get on with it in terms of whaling no, no. not pro whaling tv podcast industries did not support whaling in any country. no exactly <laughs> um but yeah I, so i love that that the kraken is sort of taking out vengeance on on these vessels mm -hmm. uh really really good and yep. of course then you have the them beginning to question and get a little scared of adam to be honest um you know it's kind of like Adam kind of gets a little weird and then he gets increasingly scary. And I, 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 it really frightens Pepper, Wensleydale and Brian. And I was really kind of, I felt for them. I have to say yeah. that this little friendship group, all of a sudden, uh, one of them's kind of grown up a, a bit too quickly and they're like going, help. Me. Well, kind of. Yeah. But I think it's even more childish, actually. The, the action and kind of what ends this point, our, our first point, our, our first sign of the apocalypse is, Pepper confronts him and says, you don't actually believe in this stuff. And then Brian kind of jumps on board to, to, as always, defend Adam and go, well, maybe Atlantis is real. Maybe they're just wearing masks and maybe they're just able to take care of themselves under the water, able to breathe underwater. And then Wensleydale goes, it's not true at all, is it? And Adam goes, whatever I say is true. So oh, yeah. this yeah. is our moment where we suddenly get Adam kind of going, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Whatever I say is true. Well, that's true. Adam gets scary and then he gets serious. You know, he really understands, um, I think his powers, you know, you hear make it happen, make it real, all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Really, really nicely done. But I like how Pepper, Wensleydale and Brian are increasingly getting wary of him. I love that walk back from Jasmine Cottage where they're going, I really didn't think he was going to let us go down there. And yeah. then you have the little pooch and Adam coming into a view from behind the tree as they walk past their kind of base uh, in the woods. Mm -hmm. I very much think this is a shot at fake news. They essentially, anything on the internet is fake, but if it's written on a magazine or a newspaper, it must be true because, mm. and I think that's what, it was a nice shot at that. Um, <laughs> That's well. That's what I should say. I took from it. That's the best thing about it, really. This book was written thirty years ago, and it was always an issue. This this concept of you know today's news is tomorrow's uh, fish wrapping, which yeah, was exactly. which was the whole concept back in the nineties when we were kids, and that's exactly what they're just translating. Literally, is you can print something in a newspaper in a day, and it'll disappear in a week. 
that's the internet. Whereas if you print it in a magazine with lovely pictures, well, then it may last a bit longer. It may be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a nice little sort of touch point to say that there's always been whack jobs that mm-hmm. effectively will try and stir up trouble. Yeah. Think Joseph Goebbels to, um, you know, Facebook. <laughs> Uh, that actually perfectly leads us on to the other ones, our second sign of the apocalypse. Yes. Our last two horsemen or horse people ha- are called. Mm-hmm. We are now getting, uh, we get a nice introduction, uh, to the life and times of Leslie. Um, we were introduced to him, but now we start seeing his home life. Uh, we get to see Leslie, who works for the International Delivering Company, and they booked a job 6,000 years ago, even though the company was only set up in 1976. He's yep. seen the paperwork, so it is true. <laughs> but he gets up and leaves his wife, who who, who seems enamored with him, and uh, we get to see him uh, be quite happy, because these last two delivery jobs are just on his doorstep, whereas the other ones have been a bit farther afield. Yes, poor Maud. And poor Leslie, to be honest, you know, this is one of the moments in the book where you just realize, oh, this isn't actually going to end very well for poor international delivery man. Um, yeah, he isn't actually an angel or a demon. He yeah. is literally an outsourced postal guy. This yeah. is what happens when you outsource from a massive company and off hurting the little people. <laughs> yes, indeed. No, this was really touching. I thought that, you know, you have that moment where he goes off to deliver uh, the summons to pollution. I love that they took over from pestilence after they retired, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And, uh, yeah, we have the invention of those, uh, those nasty peas, the petro, uh, chemicals, the plastics and the pesticides. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah. High tech weed uh, killers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, don't say anything guys. <laughs> You're right. There is just that great moment when pollution picks up the crown and puts it on their head and it just starts to melt and paint. <laughs> and yeah. then when uh, they sign the, the form with the pen that you just see it all melting into inked ink, you know, because they're creating pollution as they go. And it is also pestilence. Most people don't know what pestilence is anymore, but effectively it has become pollution i love that idea it's really cool yeah it's really good and again i do feel sorry for leslie and maud because you do have that nice moment you know and even where pollution has covered the river in plastic that's Mm -hmm. where you know they used to um spend time spooning uh and then sometimes they actually forked on one memorable occasion they did fork yes yes no no swear jar here because they forked they didn't do the other thing apparently um I must say as well, I jumped when he got run over the second time. I was like, what are you doing? I mean, don't get me wrong. It doesn't uh, take an awful lot to make me jump, uh, to be honest, uh, when when watching a movie or a TV show. Yes, we uh, have we have recounted the tale of uh, of the purple teddy bear from Toy Story 3 <laughs> that made you jump when he popped out too quickly for you. He came from a trash bin <laughs> really quickly but that is from the, point the dark. Of, yeah, but that is the point of this scene as Leslie is, is on a now main street. You know, it, what they're talking about is the fact that this area in Sussex used to be a really chilled out area where fishermen used to go and fish. Every 12 feet there was a fisherman where courting couples used to be now there's a main road right beside it and the main road is filled with trucks going up and down so that's a little commentary just beforehand just before he gets to pollution and he uses it afterwards to make his way to death but before doing so he does write his little mod i love you note which is really sweet yeah he does it's really good um for sure I loved that they, they did an actual gotcha moment with this. So he writes the mm-hmm. note before he nearly gets run over. And then they do give you this. It looks like he got knocked over, but he's okay. And then actually he looks down and sees his butt and you're like, oh. Yeah. But I have to admit, death was brilliant. We, we see Brian Cox, um, do his line with, don't think of it as dying. Think of it as leaving early to avoid the rush. Um, like this was such for me it was just a great moment to like and yeah. then to see the stars rushing by poor Leslie and then it mm-hmm. forms yeah. death out of the stars constellations. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean for Leslie I suppose uh things can only get better. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 
So a different Brian Cox, obviously. I love the touch that they've made Death's name out of stars, thinking that maybe people thought that Brian Cox was voiced by uh, the famous astronomer, not the actor Brian Cox. Brian Cox actually did a voiceover for us in a previous company I worked for. He is so wonderful at reading his lines and delivering his lines exactly the way you want them delivered. This moment is such a big moment in the book. It's such a memorable moment. I think we mentioned on our on our preview podcast that um, that Death is a character that both Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett have both used in their books to great effect. This version of Death is absolutely Terry Pratchett's and is just done so lovingly by Neil Gaiman because obviously with Terry Pratchett having passed away a few years ago, Neil Gaiman has to do this version on screen, you know, this character that has to arrive at the worst moment of most people's life and everybody thinks they've gotten away with it. Everybody thinks that they didn't die in that last moment until they see the face of death staring at them going, no, actually, that's your body right there, <laughs> which is just a nice little Terry Pratchett, nice little moment from from Terry Pratchett as well. So uh, great, great choices here in this scene. Completely. Um, and that that shores up our four horsemen, horse people. They are mm-hmm. now ready to ride and are on their way to uh, the, the plains of Megiddo. Yes, to start the apocalypse, which is great. This brings us on to our third sign of the apocalypse. Aziraphale and Crowley are under investigation. Yeah, I, I, I really like this aspect of the episode, actually. That, you know, you, you kind of, you start off very early on in the episode with the Earth observation files and you see Crowley and Aziraphale spotted together at various points that we saw from last week. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're working through the back channels, um, as, uh, Michael goes to uh, Liga to to kind of say that these two have been hanging out. Do you know why that is? Mm -hmm. Can you think of any reason? And I like the fact that ultimately uh, Liga and and Haster and and Gabriel, Michael, there's kind of that commonality coming from these people around Aziraphale and Crowley. And it ultimately ends up with... Um, them both being chased down or, or intimidated by their own kind um, as they try and effectively either, in the case of Crowley, get out of it. So we have that great sequence where um, we have the, the metaphor of how many angels can dance on a, on a pinhead, um, but they can't dance at, at, at all, whereas demons can dance but it's kind of like bad dancing from the 70s and um they can dance on the pinhead oh can we talk about that scene the gavotte (laughs) yeah the dance dance from michael sheen is just done so well i love that they really do kind of underline the fact that it's very possible that aziraphale is gay because he learned the gavotte uh, in a gentleman's underground club with no women at all, <laughs> learned how to dance, thought this was the perfect dance for him. And then unfortunately, it went out of fashion after a couple of decades. Very sad. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have, obviously, Crowley in the sexual revolution that is the 70s, along with all of the other demons also dancing, not being very good at it, but also knowing how to dance. So how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? Well, one, depending on what time you're asking, and how many demons can dance on the head of a pin? Loads of them, but just not very well. Yeah, exactly. I, I thought this was just really nicely played, um, having effectively both sides, you know, heaven on one side, hell on the other, and the people around Crowley and Aziraphale are kind of acting in the same way, really. And you have as Crowley then trying to get out of it, and Aziraphale uh, kind of trying to say, well effectively disagreeing with what Gabriel um, and the rest of the angels want, which is they want this war. It's like, oh, no, we want this to happen. We're not looking to avoid it. Yeah. We're looking to win it, you know, and the same with Metatron as well. It's all a counter to the way Aziraphale sees uh, the world. Yeah. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I, I like that kind of moment within this episode. Mm hmm. So, first of all, I was annoyed by the Michael situation. Um, it's, it is Michael who does the dirty dealings, if you will. Archangel Michael, yes. Yeah, uh, the back channels. Uh, yes, yeah. he, goes, he goes through his back channels, but very simply put, he is the Archangel Michael, and he will never actually lie. So he's just asking a question. He's putting it out there to Haster and Ligger. And if Haster and Ligger haven't been investigating Crowley, maybe they should because Michael's an angel and Michael will not, will always tell the truth, right? (laughs) 
So this is the part I never get. I suppose it's the part of me that's like, oh, no, I like his ear, Fallon Crowley. But it's mm-hmm. just that like, the, they're building good guys who you want to dislike in right. Gabriel, in Sandoval, in Uriel. Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm. in the immortal words of um, Family Guy, this grinds my gears. <laughs> Why? Because angels can't be a gray area in these books and devils can't be a gray area as well. I, I love this concept. This is totally a Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman concept. The whole idea of, well, they're angels and they're good and they're devil and they're demons and they're bad is absolutely out of their wheelhouse. The whole concept of them is they stand outside of good and bad. They are all angels at the end of the day. Every single one of them, right down to Beelzebub and down to Satan, all of them are all angels. Some of them have fallen from heaven and some of them have stayed in heaven and they've just sat back and watched for all of these millennia as the world has been created and continued. Whereas Aziraphale and Crowley have been on Earth and they've stood around humans, so they know the difference between good and bad now. That was their original conversation right back in the first episode of the show. What is so bad about knowing the difference between good and bad? Well, Aziraphale and Crowley are the only ones that do. They're the only ones that know the righteous way and the devilish path, and they've decided to walk the line between the two like most humans have. Whereas all of these angels think whatever God says is right, and all of these demons think whatever Satan says is right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it kind of, I think it's coming from Neil Gaiman and um, Terry Pratchett that this binary good and evil, uh, there is absolutely shades of grey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk about it um, within uh, the Marvel Netflix world when we have a complicated bad guy yeah. who you can sympathise with. Um, and, and it's the same where the good guy who has to do stuff that actually, uh, those binary notions of good and evil don't necessarily fit. And I, I think that's kind of what they're playing. And I think it is interesting, as you say, that within, I hadn't really ever thought of it like that, but, you know, within the show, they do say, at the end of the day, we're all angels. You know, yeah. this, this idea, some have fallen, some haven't, but ultimately, they're still the same uh, race, as it were, mm-hmm. if you even believe in angels. Exactly the if. Um, <laughs> I, okay, so let's move it on a bit. So we then are taken to the fields of Medigo, also known as <laughs> Apocalypse, um, or the place to for the apocalypse. And we see um, Hasser or Haster La Vista, um, I, that is hilarious. That yeah. brilliant. <laughs> that so um, good. He meets the demons and is told a joke, which mm-hmm. apparently takes a while for a demon to actually fully understand. And why would a <laughs> demon like a joke? But we get that and we get the, he finally kills the two others and we bring to the scene of, uh, basically Haster meeting the ambassador and meeting Warlock. Our mm-hmm. human child who is believed to be, um, the Antichrist. Yes. And I have what to a, just. What a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> we just, so the, the, the craziness of Hasa Levista being combined with, you smell like poo. But what are the voices telling you? <laughs> that you smell like poo. This for me is the Terry Pratchett part coming through. Yeah. I love it when he starts to bite off his finger because he is like just going crazy with the incompetence of, of everything. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, what, I'm awaiting the dog and the boy. And then it's like, why doesn't the boy have a dog? <laughs> and it's like, shut up, shut up to his dad as he goes over. And yeah, as you say, Chris, there's just that, uh, you smell of poo. <laughs> what are the voices saying? You smell of poo. Um, it is just absolute quality. I, I must say, um, in this episode, I absolutely loved Hasta, uh, to bits. I, yeah. I thought, you know, the Duke of Hell, um, played by Ned Dennehy, uh, really, really, really funny. Um, I, I, even when Ligger gets covered in the holy water, he 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 made me laugh a lot. Um, he is in this. hilarious. The idea that he kills the first demon for telling him a joke and he doesn't like jokes, <laughs> kills the second <laughs> demon for telling him something he doesn't want to know, and then almost kills the third demon, and then stops for a second and goes, 
basically that was a good joke. <laughs> yeah. This is the fields of avocado. Oh, I get it now. <laughs> the fields of of apocalypse kind of sounds a little bit like avocado. There's the joke. Haha, <laughs> I get it. I love that he's killed two other demons as he gets yeah. through. And of course, the idea that Warlock is, even if he's not the Antichrist, he is a child that can say whatever he wants to and look at him in this situation where there's foreign dignitaries supposedly here. An ambassador from America has been sent to see this historical site and his son has just turned around to their guide and gone, you smell like poo because he's a, an entirely horribly privileged child. <laughs> he's just been treated so well and, and protected from any kind of criticism for all of his life. And he's not even the Antichrist. He's just a horrible child. Well, he was, he was given through his gardener some uh good guidance but apparently yes. in the years since it has all gone to hell <laughs> well he did have a nanny who was giving him some horrible advice <laughs> and they weren't actually balancing themselves out they were just turning him into a horribly spoiled brat basically <laughs> but not the antichrist um i i have to say like i i'm, I'm glad i called the uh the MacGuffin or tool that w- of the holy water being used mm-hmm. um yes it was used well well, they did spend 28 minutes of the episode showing you how he got the holy water, because it's really important. A demon can't hold holy water, and it will kill them, you know? Um, it's really important to know how difficult it was for Crowley to get that, because he can't just put part of it in a bucket and part of it into this spray that he's using to threaten Haster when he arrives and threaten Ligger when they arrive to the house. If he did try that and some of it's built on him, it would burn him up and kill him, so... That's why he pours the whole thing into one bucket. He doesn't spread, spread it between the two items that he's using as uh, as weapons. Yeah, no, that was a great effect as well when the bucket just melts mm. around Ligger's hair. So that was pretty sweet, yeah. um, I think. And then even as they sort of uh, dematerialize into kind of like pixels or mm-hmm. something uh, and go into the... Um, the, the telephone lines, and then ultimately you have Haster trapped in an antique answer phone, uh, which was really cool. I was wondering how well this would come across on the screen. I really enjoyed the scene. I loved that idea. And I think actually just by laying in that idea of, of uh, the, the dancing on the head of a pin, the angels and the demons, I think they kind of covered up something that I'm not sure whether you would get from people that may not know what answer, machi- answer machines are like and what phone lines are like. Effectively, he calls from his mobile to his landline, and Crowley jumps out of the phone system before his answer phone picks up on the third ring. But you can't really get that. I don't know whether you're hearing the rings like I do, because it's in the book. It's very specific. You hear three ring, four Crowley goes, right, now I'm leaving. But obviously, Haster has no idea of this concept of an answer phone picking up after a couple of rings. Yeah. So that's why Haster stays in and Crowley jumps out. Yeah, no. So I got that. You don't hear the rings in the show. Mm-hmm. Like they're running through and there's so much other noise and cacophony. It's just not there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, I'm with you. It's, it was a bit like, hmm, didn't it, you have to understand how tapes work. <laughs> exactly. Um, I love, I love that it's an antique uh, answer phone. I definitely had one of those. <laughs> yeah. No, that was cool. I love the fact they called it an antique answer phone. Mm-hmm. We are kind of antiques. We are, we are. We're unfortunately (laughs) way too antique. Um, I, I, moving it on, speaking of another antique, um, Metatron. Don't you dare call Derek Jacoby an antique. What? He's a treasure, which is also an antique. Yes. A national treasure, yes. Which is also an antique. Have you not (laughs) seen the Antiques Roadshow? Derek full Jacobi of- was not on the Antiques Roadshow. Derek no, Jacobi is, but he's is the full most of famous Derek that has ever been Derek'd. <laughs> Derek, <laughs> ja- Derek Jacobi is one of the most famous Derek's that's ever been out there, and he spells his name correctly and everything. I love it. I'm yes. glad you do. But I, I, this was a fun one for me, because we get the circle, we get Aziraphal going, no, 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 I, I need to speak higher. You're speaking mm-hmm. To the Lord through me. No, no, no. You, I need to go. Okay, fine. I'll just go through you. And just getting <laughs> that kind of. So for me, unfortunately, any time I think of Metatron, uh, mm-hmm. I had two things run through my head. The first is Megatron from Transformers. Yeah, because <laughs> I wrote Megatron has to be. Uh, and then actually more Dogma Kevin Smith's Metatron. Alan Rickman. Alan, yes. The late Alan Rickman. Um, mm-hmm. So in my head, I was like, oh my god, maybe let no. Okay, so. That's so it, it was both positive and negative for me because the Metatron role for me 
is from Dogma with Alan Rickman. It is very seminal in my upbringing. So I was like, oh, they didn't go that way. But then also, as you said, one of the better known Derek's, not the better Derek's, the better known Derek's. <laughs> oh, I'll concede he is the best Derek ever okay. to be around. So apparently the best Derek uh, gives a very good performance. Absolutely brilliant. And I just want to call out what is actually said in the movie Dogma by Alan Rickman in his role of Metatron is you make a bloody movie about it and then everybody knows exactly who the character is. Nobody's ever made a movie about me before, so nobody knows who I am. Well, of course, now Dogma has been released and Alan Rickman will always be Metatron, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> even have... though many people have read the Bible over the centuries and millennia that it's been around and Metatron has mentioned multiple times in the Bible. But we now have Derek Jacobi, who is wonderful in this little role where he, he is effectively, effectively just listening to Aziraphale tell him the story. But his answer is always going to be, well, the war is going to happen because that's what God wants, right? Well, dare I say it, um, it's going to start with a multinational nuclear exchange <laughs> uh, and it will start the war. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, again, I had the same things I called the Megatron. Then I thought of Alan Rickman. Mm-hmm. And then I also had one other, which was I suddenly thought of Supernatural um, as well yeah. with Metatron. So now there's, right. yeah, I have another, there's the fourth uh, Metatron now with Derek Jacobi, but it, it was good. I, I loved how, then Shadwell arrives to, to kind of get some money out of Aziraphale so that he can get to Tadfield so he can save Newton Pulsifer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks that he, he's the one that sent him back up to, or like, I don't know, evaporated him or something, thinking he's a witch, uh, with this, uh, bell book and candle method when in fact he's just stepped into the kind of the, I don't know, the, well, the, pattern on on the floor yes the open gateway to heaven that uh, has been left open behind by metatron who's basically calling back all of the angels to heaven uh yeah it's shadwell's using the bell book and candle method which is the method he teaches pulsifer to send demons away and send them to hell it's that moment when shadwell kind of realizes actually maybe there is something supernatural about this aziraphale guy who's been around and sponsoring me for years you know, he always thinks that there's something weird about Crowley, that Crowley will never pay him any money in advance and just thinks, you know, oh, this guy in, in Soho who owns the bookshop, he's an easy touch. He's an easy guy that I can get money out yeah, of. Yeah, he That's thinks why he he's a southern pansy. Yeah, and the minute he walks in there, he goes, oh, hang on a second, this guy's a demon and uses this. Well, what, what would it be? A little, it's like a a desk bell uh he just looks at a book and then lights a zippo lighter <laughs> that's that's his version of this uh of this yeah ritual to excise the demon and it, it happens to work kind of because of this open gateway yeah I, i'm more quite sad that as shadow runs away from the bookshop he does completely forget about agnes nutter's nice and accurate yeah. prophecies which he has tossed aside and of course, unfortunately, the bookshop starts to go on fire. So is the last copy ever of Agnes Nutter's prophecies gone? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But the good news, I think this is uh, one of the things we need to definitely call out about, out about this episode, is that this is 28 minutes before what's going on in Crowley's ha- house is happening. Because we see that phone call between Aziraphale when he gets into the shop before he calls Metatron and speaks to him, we see that little sign come up going 28 minutes beforehand. So it's entirely possible that screeching around the corner once again is going to be Crowley coming over to effectively respond to that phone call that he got. So that, that's quite possible that Crowley could be just coming around the corner, save the shop and save uh, Agnes Sutter's prophecy book, right? Hopefully, hopefully. Um, but speaking of saving, mm-hmm. our fourth sign of the apocalypse Pulsifer is off to Tadfield and he's off to save the world from none other than Adam. Yes, I, I absolutely love this scene with Shadwell and uh, and Pulsifer at the beginning of this episode. You heard last time when uh, he said he wanted to go to the go to the town. You heard come over to our place at 9 a.m. tomorrow to get your armor to go off and, and fight for the Witchfinder army. And he gives him all of his stuff. He gives him all of his gear, this little tooling up moment that you, that you see in every single action movie that's out there. See Shadwell giving him the pendulum of discovery, some thumbscrews, some fire lighters in case he has to set fire to a witch. <laughs> he gives him the bell book and candle for exercising demons. And I love the response from, uh, from Pulsifer is, 
So I ring the bell, I light the candle, and then I read the book. And Shadwell going, you don't have time to read a book if, you're, if your demons are attacking you, <laughs> which I love because it's like, what the hell is the book for? <laughs> just have a book around? Is that what it is? And then he just kind of describes this thing of the pin to, to discover witches. We did hear about the pin back in episode two, uh, how they discovered Agnes Nutter or how they thought they were going to discover Agnes Nutter was a witch was by pricking her with the pin multiple times. The thing that cured her arthritis, obviously, was acupuncture, uh, which was this pin, effectively, that the Witchfinder army had been using for centuries to discover witches. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. We've talked about how he gets his gear, and we've talked about how he meets the duck-billed aliens on the way. I have to admit, I loved how they used the Tibetan um, people who were underground listening to everything, that they dug up their hole a bit too far and caused mm -hmm. the crash which sends yes. him all the way into the prophecy, like screaming into the prophecy in the mm -hmm. three-wheeled blue Robin Reliant, mm -hmm, um, and yeah. the understanding that that's actually the car. I was just, I thought it was a really nice way of getting it there, getting it to Anathema's house. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I love how, as you say, he screeches into this prophecy that she's <laughs> that she's been reading for years. Because remember. She's been told all of her life from when she was five years old that she will be the one that will be there and present at the apocalypse. What we find out now is she's not present at the apocalypse. She'll basically have sex for the first time with this guy that comes into town and his car flips, right? So, um, so I love this where she's just kind of going, yeah, there's some more prophecies there, but you don't read those. Um, as he's brought over to the house. Yeah. Yeah. There's some other things, but we definitely won't, don't want to talk about those, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I, th I think this was. Uh, really good that the two of them kind of get together uh, mm -hmm. in the way they do. Um, the the you have the tornadoes happening outside in, in rural Oxfordshire, and <laughs> you you have a, a tornado getting on under the bed. Yeah, uh, in some uh, sexy hand motions, um, <laughs> but grasp firmly to the the bed. I did love how they completely ripped off. Uh, the steamy car scene from Titanic. Oh, yeah. It's like, grip, grip, grip. I, that yeah. one point though, the hand, the hands were a bit weird because just <laughs> yeah. the angling, I'm like yeah. in my head trying to figure out the body's positioning on those <laughs> angles. I was like, what? How much space? What? Okay. Forget about physics, Chris. This is not what yeah. this is about. This is just a comedy. Definitely. I love, I love the Chadwell is having the conversation with Madame Tracy back uh, in London, trying to work out why this pin has set on fire and blown out of the wall and he's having this conversation going oh god there must be awful things happening to Pulsifer as it's cutting to him having sex for the first time with yeah. with Anathema really really good fun a great comedy scene but the two of them as well work nicely together in identifying Adam Young from Agnes Nutter's prophecy mm -hmm. about um Adam and the hogback um whereas it's his address so i i like that i think we also have you know he, he says that he's a computer engineer as well <laughs> despite us knowing that it's the one thing he probably can't do i'm not um, really a witchfinder because there's no real witches <laughs> i'm also not a computer engineer because everything i touch blows up yeah. when i touch it <laughs> but i love that as he says that because there's not really any witches mm -hmm. and she goes I'm a witch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's very matter-of-factly yeah. <laughs> uh, just kind of says, no, I'm a witch from a long line of witches. Um, mm -hmm. And I think your ancestor burnt my, you know, great, 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 great grand witch. Yes. So I took away your matches. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good to see these two characters together. They are the main characters of, the, of, of this side of the book, obviously, as we've mentioned many times, Crowley and Aziraphale, it's their story. This is their story of what happens when an angel and a demon are getting to the apocalypse. But Anathema and uh, Pulsifer, their story is quite important to it. But I love, as, as I said, I love the idea that she is supposed to be there for the end of times, but it's just that she's supposed to be in Tadfield yeah. and meet Pulsifer. Basically. No, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think onto the fifth sign of the apocalypse, mm -hmm. because at Jasmine Cottage with um, both... Anathema and Newton Pulsifer, uh, you have Adam there as well. You know, they mm. bring Pulsifer to the cottage, um, after his Robin Reliant, um, sort of stunt, uh, turnover, you know, action Robin Reliant scene. <laughs> uh, and we have them there. And, uh, this is where Adam really, you know, he's kind of becoming entranced by that. Um, sort of drawing or picture of the uh, Antichrist on uh, the wall of the cottage, mm -hmm. and you start to hear the the names building, and 
this is where the them get a little freaked out by their friend Adam and, oh, yeah. and, and want to go home for lunch. Um, but you know, we have that moment where he says, no, you can't go. And they realize that he may not have let them go, as I was saying before, just that really nice moment where they really get this idea that Adam is getting really scary. And then he gets really serious as yeah. they're sort of up huddled, uh, in their base. Uh, and he, it's that moment where you, it's that idea of humans not having lips is so freaky. Oh, absolutely. Uh, where he says, shut up as they lose all their lips. And mm-hmm. you're just like, that is the freakiest special effect I think that you can do. Cause it almost doesn't look real mm-hmm. because of how weird it looks not to have a mouth yeah. and yeah. lips. For me, it was just they were walking down the forest and mm-hmm. as the camera pans, he's not there. And then it pans a bit further. And then he is there with the dog, the hellhound. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, we're moving into horror territory. Absolutely. I don't know what it is, whether it's my upbringing with it or upbringing with the shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just children demonically possessed children are just freaky. Yeah. <laughs> children really in scary. general are freaky. Uh, <laughs> like I, I just don't like children, but like children oh. with, uh, the powers of the nine realms of hell become freakier. Absolutely. I, I mean, Children of the Corn freaked me out. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't in the later sequels because it was just ridiculous. Of course. But nonetheless, yeah, it as well, because you're kind of there with the kids going, okay. But yeah, Children of the Corn, Midwich Cuckoos or Village of the Damned. Um, yeah, children are really scary. Do you know, one of the criticisms I saw of the show was that the kids seem like they're taken directly out of the famous five. They don't seem like real kids. And I actually think that makes it scarier. I don't know whether the criticism was just not founded very well or whether they didn't understand what the kids are supposed to, to represent them. I always thought of the, the them as being kids who were attracted to Adam, kids who Adam made into a bit of a mold around him, kids that gave him the things that he wanted. He wants someone really smart and intelligent, like Wensleydale. He wants someone to push back against him a little bit, like Pepper. And he wants someone really supportive, like Brian. They are almost surrounding him with the kind of people that he wants. That's why he's forcing them to follow him. That's why he's forcing them to live on when he's about to destroy the rest of the world. You hear them really cry out about the fact that, you know, I just want to go home. I want to go home to my parents. And he goes, I'll create new parents for you. (laughs) And then they go, but you're going to end the world. You're going to kill all the people. And he goes, I'll just create new people as well. Yeah. He wants them to survive. He wants these friends who were, you know, they're not atypical. They're not, they're not stereotypes at all, but they seem to, to work perfectly with Adam. They are his group. And they even call out the fact that he is the one that comes up with the best games and comes up with the best things to do, almost repeating exactly what he wants them to think about him. It kind of, it kind of came to me a little bit more in the TV show because of Pulsifer's assertion about the lands around the area of Tadfield having the perfect weather for every single season. It's kind of like the kids are also the perfect kids to have in every single situation for Adam. Until yeah. this moment. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it's a really good moment of Adam effectively coming into his powers. Mm. Um, scary, I, I think a bit like you, you know, the, there's been some criticism maybe that you don't see as much of Adam, but in, in some ways he's that background vehicle and driver. Mm-hmm. And it's only really now that he's becoming aware of his powers. So yes, up, up till now, um, you know, this idea that he can control the weather with, you know, we see him here with the storms and the tornadoes, but presumably he has been giving normal weather. Um, you know, he's, he's got the floating, he's got the hellhound mm-hmm. in dog. Um, and as you say, then it's like he wants to reset the world with new people and new mummies and daddies. And it's yeah. like, um, Wensleydale, Brian and Pepper are just there going, uh, okay, that's just really scary. Yeah. I, like, I am very intrigued because his father has had enough control over him, for example, to make sure that he forced Dog to do everything that he wanted him to do. So is it possible that Mr. Young will suddenly appear over the hill and go, hang on a second, you've just trapped your, trapped the kids, you're creating this storm in the town, shut up and stop it, Adam? Like, do you think he has any control over Adam anymore or has Adam fallen into full power yet? I think it's going to take our uh, our dynamic heroes to basically tell him both the good and the bad, the grey, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to kill his dad or something like that. Because 
I don't know why, but there were moments in earlier on in this episode where his dad is looking at him a little bit suspiciously. Like, oh, yeah. okay, there's something not right here. Is he my son kind of look? I right. mean, I don't know. So uh, it could be one of those horror moments where, you know, the neck just snaps like oh, at man. right angles to the <laughs> left. I'm not sure we're going to go that dark. I do love the moment when his mother is watching the television as they're talking about the crack and then she just goes, ah, hang on. <laughs> where she's like, oh, I, I've seen the crazy stuff that's happened in this world in the last couple of days, but this is just going a little too far, isn't it? <laughs> but guys, I think that's the end of our five sides of the apocalypse. So let's just call out where everything is right now, just as we get into this apocalypse, as we get into the final two episodes, because we hear a little bit about it at the Fields of Megadoo. We hear one of the demons talking about, as everybody comes together, the four horsemen of the apocalypse will arrive with the Antichrist and his dog. Well, we know Antichrist and the dog are at Tadfield, so we assume the four horsemen of the apocalypse, because there's no huge detail given to them, that they're going to be attracted to Tadfield, right? Um, we know that Crowley and Aziraphale both know what's going on, and that they know to go to Tadfield, as long as Aziraphale can get back from his calling to heaven, I suppose. <laughs> we also know Shadwell knows what's going on, and thinks yeah. that possibly the only other member of the Witchfinder army has been uh, taken off the board, I suppose, by uh, by a witch. So he could be on his way to Tadfield as well. So everything is leading to Tadfield in the next two episodes, obviously. But, yes. uh, but quite interesting that they lined it all up so well in these last last, last episode. Yep, we're bargaining towards the apocalypse. Um, we've <laughs> got less than, like, we can assume less than three hours to the apocalypse at this point, because uh, when uh, Pulsifer wakes up, it was like four hours and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're definitely, after the good... Uh, the, the good witch has shown it the uh good witch finder um the the end of the prophecy we can expect that that at least took a, another 15 20 minutes so um there's going to be cuddling first time though chris first time yes but gentlemen <laughs> do we have any notes for this episode I really had to limp myself on notes. There are so many in this episode, so many Doctor Who references and Definitely. so many other references going on. Just really quickly want to point out two that I absolutely love, and you guys can read all the rest of them if you want to. <laughs> but the two I really love in the cinema where the children's movie is coming on, the one that where the, uh, where the name of the episode comes up, uh, Saturday morning, uh, fun time, that cartoon that Crowley seems to be watching in that cinema there, right in the front. Uh, Neil Gaiman has his cameo for the season. He's sitting right in the front asleep at this uh, this children's movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. And uh, I must say, I love the fact that Hasta kills one of the, the cartoon characters. That was so brutal. Really, really reminded <laughs> me of that uh, that cartoon, um, Happy Tree Friends. Remember that one yeah. where, where they killed all the really cute characters every week? <laughs> for me, it was just the South Park um, friendly Christmas. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the, absolutely. The that was really, also quite brutal. Yes. yes, also quite brutal. Uh, the big Doctor Who call out for this episode is as David Tennant's Crowley is looking for a place to go. He talks about a beautiful nebula and in between the line of him saying a beautiful nebula and I created that place or I helped create that place. Right behind him comes a sign saying Gallifrey, which is the home planet of the Doctor. So uh, that's quite a cool little Easter egg right there, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's pretty good. And of course, Brian says exterminate um, if he was an alien uh, rather than peace and love. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that being referenced to Doctor Who's mortal enemy, uh, the Daleks. Absolutely. And of course, Pepper wants to be a stormtrooper from Star Wars because she says stand aside rebel scum. <laughs> so You see, they do fit true. with Adam quite nicely, yeah. Um, yeah. I think. And Wensleydale wants to be... Um, obviously, Wallace and Gromit going to the moon for some Wednesday day. Absolutely. <laughs> I presume. Um, the only thing I've got here is um, Captain Vincent at the start talks about the Quoits contest. And I was like, what on earth is that? I had to look that up. Obviously, the high priest from Atlantis is a winner. Uh, but that's like that old fashioned hoops and sticks game yeah. that they play. And um, so only on a cruise ship with the blue rinses would you have a game like Quoits. Or it's such an old game that even the Atlanteans used to play. It. Yeah, it's like really? Crown Green Bowling or something like that. <laughs> or Tiddlywinks. Something like that, yeah. Or crocheting. It, it is the crocheting of sport, basically. Mm-hmm. Two other quick notes before we head on to... Uh to the end of our episode. Uh, passerby, when they're commiserating with Aziraphale about the breakup with Crowley, there's a woman that walks past, I'm guaranteeing is wearing Paddington Bear's dirty coloured hat and blue duffel coat. It's so cute. As she walks past, I think that loads of people want to have the adult Paddington Bear outfit. Nice, okay. <laughs> 
And also, uh, earlier on this year, I mentioned it on our preview episode, I got to meet David, David Morrissey, who plays the ship's captain on here, uh, did play the next Doctor in Doctor Who Christmas Special with David Tennant. So wanted to call out, uh, he loved making this episode. It's a really small part for David Morrissey. He's such a great actor and has been in so many cool things like Walking Dead and Doctor Who. Uh, it's so cool to have him on here. Uh, he loved making this episode and uh, definitely would love to talk to him more in depth about that little moment that he has in this episode. Especially because he got to see Atlantis. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's it for all of our notes for the episode. John, overall, what do you think of the episode? Uh, for me, this is for Robin Reliance out of five, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. I, I, I thought um, it was really, really good. I think, as you say, it's barreling nicely to um, getting people in place here. Um, I think maybe for me, it just suffered a little from the fact that I really enjoyed the last episode. Yeah. Um, but again, there are some really memorable moments in here as well from Atlantis and the pleasure cruiser Morbello. You have the aliens, you have the Tibetans, you have um, all these different elements, which is really nice. And I, I really enjoyed um, how Aziraphale and uh, Crowley kind of, you know, in a sense, being subject to the same kind of dastardly deeds um, from the people around them. And I thought Hasta was really amazing. Uh, I just his annoyance uh, was just hilarious. Absolutely. Um, and it was good to see Adam, you know, becoming the Antichrist mm-hmm. and becoming aware of it. I thought that was good and, and how the them um, just responded to him. I think that was nice because they are... I really like uh, those those three of, of Wensleydale, Brian, uh, and Pepper. I think yeah. they're very, very cool. Yeah, they're really, really good. Chris, overall? Uh, I'm, I'm still in love with this show. On the last episode, I did kind of say how I felt that they were focusing almost too much on the main characters and some of the side characters weren't getting their time to shine. That is what this episode is. It sets up, oh, not only do we see how our two, uh, our two Dastny angels and demons we get to where they are going. Our side characters are barreling as well towards the apocalypse, and we're given a bit more time with them in this. So overall, I, I'm still in love. I want to actually see how the remaining two hours will play out because I, it's been so long since I've read the book. I'm like, oh yeah, what are the next steps? It, it's going to be a nice, enjoyable time for me. Absolutely. The end of the world couldn't be better, really, could it? Yeah. <laughs> really enjoyed this episode. Loved all the characters, yeah. Really, really enjoyable one. I totally get, get what you're saying, John, about, uh, about that side of having Aziraphale and Crowley being attacked from either of their home offices or their head offices, I Yeah, suppose. exactly. It's really, yeah. really, really good. Let's get on to some feedback to our Pratchett postbag, as I completely forgot to call it for our last episode. <laughs> uh, Robert Phillips says, uh, when I thought it couldn't get any pe- better, the end of the world begins. There were so many highlights in this episode, including a couple of nice Star Trek nods that even I couldn't miss the captain's log and the discovery nod to a female Michael, who's a little bit traitorous, but in the best way. The wonderful Michael Burnham in uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm not too sure whether Archangel Michael uh, would be a reference to Michael Burnham, but uh, but yeah, love that character in this in the show, and obviously adore Star Trek Discovery as well. I also liked a very meta, I think, Doctor Who reference from the Gallifrey Nebula. Yeah, really cool one there, Bob. Caught that one. And maybe one with the plant sprayer, a bit like the vinegar against the Slitheen in uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures. Wow, <laughs> that's really in-depth, Robert. Um, this was definitely in the book way before the Sarah Jane Adventures. I definitely remember that the spray is in there. It's actually why we got the uh, the scene with David Tennant and the plants early on in the season is to show that he does have a plant sprayer. That's that's the reason why we have that early on in the season. So, uh, so not a reference to Sarah Jane Adventures, just a reference to earlier on in the season. Bob continues, the last bit I reckoned was the Hitchhiker's Guide call out to the intelligence of large aquatic mammals, dolphins, whales or whatever, and their choice of swimming and eating. A great little moment with Pepper where she wants to be a, uh, a whale because all they do is swim and eat. <laughs> yes, and uh, Bob also pulls out that the high priest has just won the quoits contest. Uh, and for him, he says that has to be one of the greatest lines so far as well. Yes. <laughs> it certainly stuck out to me. It's all about those quoits. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bob does correct himself, saying marginal call on reflection against, no, sir, we have no idea what's going on either from the aliens when they ask uh, Newton as to why they were told to give uh, these salutations and uh, and happy hello to everybody in the universe. They're wondering why they were told to do that. Yeah. Nice one, Bob. Nice, Bob. Uh, Donald Dennis said this 
I was actually hoping the series would not be dumped on the servers all at once because I figured if they dropped an episode a day or a week, it would carry more buzz. That said, I watched it all of this past weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- th- if we weren't recording uh, our usual podcast schedule, I'd probably be right there with you, Donald. He actually also <laughs> went on to say, I thought that maybe the horseshoe did protect the house from the evil of the hellhound, making the doggy leave the evil behind when it was went into the house. <laughs> so th- I'm with you, Donald. That's kind of, as I said in the last episode, what I felt it was. It was kind of purging mm-hmm. a bit of the evil from good old doggy. Um, but we'll have to see. He did, the doggy did look scared at the end of this episode so maybe some of his evil has been dispelled yeah I, I went back to the book and it's almost exactly the same as the scene in the book that is the description that's in there is just basically that nobody really notices this uh horseshoe above the door anymore because it was put there when the black death was around or as it says in the book when the black, black death was popular at the time uh, to put it up to protect the house and they don't notice the fact that it turns to a white hot heat after adam and dog go inside the house so I don't know whether it's still protecting or not, or whether they have broken the protection at all, but it just sounds like it's trying really, really hard to protect the yeah. house uh, against the dog. Um, I, I suspect an upturned horseshoe is no match for the Antichrist. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, thanks, Donald, for that. Jamie Alexander also has the same thing. I told myself, she says, I wasn't going to watch the whole show at once, but I watched all six episodes on Saturday. I'm glad I've now got your reviews to drag out my enjoyment a little longer. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree, I think, with um, Jamie and Donald. I think there is something nice to, to be had with um, a, a weekly show, uh, but also um, a show this good you start watching, and it's uh, it's also nice to have the whole series uh, released all at once as well so that you can really get into it. Um, but sadly, uh, we are forced by death here to um or shall i say our our producer slash editor to only watch uh, on strict rationing it's a feast or a famine right <laughs> <laughs> well the really interesting thing about the show as we've mentioned a couple of times now it's actually going to be on bbc2 later on in the year going to be showing one episode a week every week so some of our wonderful listeners to this podcast will only be watching one episode a week because they aren't subscribed to amazon prime some of the rest of you have watched it three four five six times just want to say a huge thank you to all of you who've been reaching out and just saying how much you're enjoying the podcast and how much you're listening to it all the all of you on twitter and all of you over on our facebook groups who've been reaching out just to say how much you're enjoying the podcast we love doing this we love talking about this this show i've been waiting 30 years for this show to be turned into a tv show i can wait a couple of weeks to uh, to finish it off on that note we've only got two more episodes to go so it's not going to be a couple of weeks it'll only be one more until we're finished the other two episodes of good omens on amazon prime Make sure you subscribe to our podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Remember to rate us and leave a review wherever you can, because uh, we, we love hearing about your thoughts about our podcast. Yeah, exactly. And of course, check out podcastica.com for other podcasts, such as The Walking Dead cast, which is back with Fear the Walking Dead Season 5 this week. And of course, there is House Podcastica, which starts covering Handmaid's Tale very soon with the release of the new Black Mirror season five um, this week as well. Um, Strange Indeed will be up and running discussing all things Black Mirror. We are recording this podcast on the 5th of June, which is the most depressing day in TV, apparently, because three episodes of Handmaid's Tale Season 3 and three episodes of Black Mirror were all released today, as if six hours of some of the most depressing TV was a good idea to release on one day. They're all great shows, don't get me wrong, but you need something like Good Omens in your life, don't you? Absolutely. We'll be back with our review of Good Omens Episode 5, The Doomsday Option, next week. This is the, obviously the penultimate episode already, but fear not, angels and demons, we will be back with Marvel Podcasts as well, because they will be releasing their final Netflix show, Jessica Jones Season 3, which and that is all dropping on June 14th. So we'll be sharing our reviews of that whole season on TV Podcast Industries and, of course, Defenders TV Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes, one episode at a time on Jessica Jones, just like we're doing with Good Omens. Looking forward to the last two episodes. And thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Yes, thank you so much, guys. Yeah, as always, Acolytes, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to dance on the head of a pin to Mega Do Do Do. 
Push pineapple, shake the tree. Mega do, do, do. Push pineapple, grind coffee. Uh, indeed. And after that, I'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye. The apocalypse is coming. Grab your hard hat. Jamie Dillick. And you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TV podcast industries or on Twitter at TV podcast industries. I was going to say dot com industries, industries, Derek. That's why I just did your job, your, your thing, Chris, there. Apologies. And you can also follow us over on Twitter at TV podcast industries to let to. And you can also follow us over on Twitter at TV podcast industries to find out what we're doing and what we're watching. But I think it's time to get into our discussion about this episode of the show. John, do you want to tell us what this? <laughs> the world is getting weirder. Atlantis has risen from the deep. A kraken has arrived to destroy. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always been. Um, craziness in print as much mm -hmm. as on on the internet i suppose it's just the quantity um and the fact that now i mean what was the thing i heard recently you know sorry i won't go into it now. yeah <laughs> it's not this podcast though. no i know <laughs> that, that's that's but for another you, podcast but we need you to finish it off though. me um, and chris are at least two parts of the four horsemen of the apocalypse pretty much Fake news and pesticides. <laughs> I think I think Derek's death then. I am death. Oh, right. Actually, no, he's war because he's just going to end up causing war. Today. I always just end up causing arguments, so I must be war. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And again, I do feel sorry for the international delivery guy, Maud. I think it's really nice. Sorry. Leslie. Leslie is the international. Leslie, sorry. <laughs> Maud's his wife. Yeah. yeah. We see at the fields of Megadoo, we have that conversation with Megadoo. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, does it? That's, that's what you get. Calls the apocalypse. Or oh, oh, that's a special at the local hairdresser. <laughs> the fields of Megadoo? Yeah. Oh, that like a Brazilian, is it? Me it is Megadoo, <clears throat> yeah. It just didn't sound right. A Megadoo, maybe. Megadoo, that's yeah. it. <laughs>